Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be with you. Yes, I live in Forest Lake and preach down in Brooklyn Park. And so this morning, literally, we're passing each other. We're waving at each other. Have fun down there, Jason. Anyways, it's a uh, it's great joy to be with you and, and uh, to fill in for, for Jason. If you're visiting this morning, I want you to know you need to come back. Jason is an amazing servant of Jesus. Uh, I love this guy. He's devoted to Jesus Christ. He's his zeal for you, his love for you. We have lunch and dinner together on a regular basis. And uh, it is a good thing to be loved by your pastor, okay? And, and I just want to encourage you. I, I, I meet with lots of folks, lots of churches that are looking for pastors. And uh, if you've got a good pastor like Jason, I want to encourage you. Love him. Care for his family. In fact, do what the Bible says. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 says this that we are to appreciate those who labor among us, who have charge over us in the Lord and give us instruction, and that we esteem them highly in love because of their work. So if you're visiting this morning, I want you to know, sorry you're getting second string. Uh, come back next week. Jason will be back. Um, but I know Jason not only as a, you know, as a student of the Scriptures. We've traveled together. I've heard him speak. Uh, we've been in various uh, settings together. But I also know him as a fisherman. How many of you know him as a fisherman? Right? Okay. And I'm really excited about coming to Lake Sea Free because visitors can you know, get a gift. And so I'm sitting there thinking, what would Jason's church give? Probably, you know, like a jerk bait or a plastic worm or something, you know. So make sure you get that. It's gonna be it's gonna be tremendous. Well, let me just uh, let me just uh, invite you in, in June, uh, Jan Markell and myself are gonna be hosting another Understanding the Times with Mark Hitchcock. Uh, Dr. Hitchcock is from Dallas Seminary. He teaches the PhD students there. Great servant of God. I'm really excited about having him come. Him and um, uh, Jeff Kinley have just written a book, The Global Reset. And if you've been watching like in, uh, the news, any channel, doesn't matter what channel you watch, CNN to Fox News, whatever extremes you listen to, or if you're like watching in papers or watching what's happening on Wall Street, there is this tremendous emphasis um, about the reset that is coming in our world. And we're going to talk about that this morning because as I trusted Jesus as my Savior, so my dad committed suicide when I was five, I was adopted and abandoned, and, and my mom eventually sent me to a Christian school. It was the first time I ever saw a husband love his wife, a wife love her husband, a couple love their children. I thought, what's different about them? I watched for 175 days. The difference was two things. They talked about Jesus like he was alive. And secondly, they approached the Bible as a book filled with truth to guide their lives. And so you'd hear them talk, and they'd say, uh, you know, I'd ask them a question, and they'd say, well, Jesus is teaching me. I'm going, Jesus, he died on a cross. How can he teach you anything? And then, you know, I'd heard the story about the resurrection, but what does that really mean? Well, he's, he's, there's this personal element, and that blew me away. The second thing was is, when I asked them a question, they'd say, you know, that's a good question. Let me go back to the Bible here. Let me, let me think about that. And then they'd come back a couple of days later, and they'd say, hey, you know, I found this verse over here in Proverbs, or whatever the case might be, and, and I think it answers that question that you have. So I saw, for the first time, the Bible actually having answers, and it was radically transforming people's lives, how they think, how they acted, how they conducted themselves, and, and it, was, it was so powerful. So I ended up trusting Christ as my Savior, started devouring the Scriptures, and I started noticing all sorts of things. God was changing my life, my perspective, uh, my future, my ambitions. My ambition was to go to West Point and have a military career and then be the president of the United States. 
and I, and I trusted Christ, and it's like, man, that's too small of a job. Um, the, the, the thing, you know, laws can suppress evil. This is really important. We need government. God created government in Genesis 9 to suppress evil. But government can't make evil people good. It only can suppress evil so that way, and evil people and evil ambitions, so that way uh, you can have a, a society that functions. But that's a whole other story. But anyways, um, I realized that the gospel was the one thing that could actually change wicked people and make them something different. And so, uh, so I just started devouring the Bible. And as I'm reading through the Bible, I discovered some things that were shocking to me. For example, that uh, the United States is not mentioned in the Bible. I'm like, what? We're a superpower. How can we? I mean, come on. This was the country I'm going to be the president of. I'm, I'm going to go into West Point. I mean, I was shocked. And I remember going to people and saying, hey, I'm not finding America here. I'm finding like Russia and, and Iran and, and different countries that sometimes are called different names, but I'm finding everybody else, but where are we at? And then people were like, Mark, you know, you're, you're not a patriot. You don't really care about America. That's, that wasn't true. And I was like, I'm shocked. And then and as I continued to read, I started going through the book of Revelation, got to chapter 13, and I noticed that in the last days, there's going to be this, this global, this globalization is going to take place. And there's going to be this antichrist. In fact, there's three major things in Revelation 13 you discover. The first is, in that center slide, uh, it's just fascinating in our day, the World Government Summit that just took place in March. 140 countries gathered together. And um, as they gathered together, Becky Anderson, she's the one in the picture, she's a CNN uh, uh, spokesman. Anyways, uh, she introduces, starts the night, and she poses a question. And the question revolves around, we've seen America, you know, leading since World War II, the free world, and so forth. And, and, but is that really the system that we want as we go forward? 140 nations gathered to figure out how to neutralize America from a global superpower to maybe a middle power. Fascinating. Kind of something like you would expect to have to happen when I read Revelation 13. There's another element to Revelation 13. Not only is there a global, this globalization and a, uh, the Antichrist controlling the globe and a global government, but there's also a global economy. And it describes there that, that uh, you can't buy or sell. And I was like taken back. It's like, hold it, the U.S. dollar? The U.S. dollar, I mean, we have the strong, I mean, I was, this was in the 80s. I'm like, we got the strongest currency in the world, you know, and Ronald Reagan's president, and there's no way that could happen. I, I think the Bible might be wrong on this. I just couldn't wrap my mind around the complexities of that. And then you think about World Economic Forum. And you can say this is a conspiracy, but friends, all of the, all of the richest people in the world, the ultra-elite are gathering together, and they have eight major objectives by 2030 one of them is that America would be a middle power. In order to do that, there has to be an economic collapse, as you and I know it, for America. And if you're watching in the news, as inflation takes place and we're printing money, the devaluation, the devaluation of the dollar, on every front, people are saying, uh, you know, we're going to stop using the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. What does that mean? So like the barrel of oil is told to us, and, and how valuable is the barrel of oil? Well, it's always in U.S. dollars. You know, it's $106 a barrel, let's say, in U.S. dollars. Everybody is saying we need to ditch the dollar and come up with something else, and there's this tremendous movement. How many of you remember just uh, in the middle of March, the president of the United States put a, 
uh, executive order in place to come up with a digital currency. And there's a, there's a timeline in that. I've read all 35 pages. If you can't sleep at night, just print it off. You can do it online. Uh, it's boring as all get out. But there's timelines in it. And there's this big timeline coming in October where uh, legislation has to be on the president's desk regarding a digital currency. And you say, well, I don't think that's all that important. Okay, I'm just telling you it's about control. So a government that's in control of the world, economic control. There's a third element in Revelation 13, and that is a religious control. And it talks about the Antichrist being worshipped and the false prophet and everything moving there to worship him. And, you know, you just kind of like wrap your minds around, how can that be? I mean, you know, people, uh, uh, people I mean, you get, I mean, seriously, you get five pastors together, you're going to get six opinions. Okay, you were supposed to laugh at that. Lighten up a little bit, y'all. All right, yeah. So, so seriously, I mean, I mean, think about your spouse or your family members. Do you agree with everybody in your family on stuff? If you do, you got a better family than I do. Anyways, um, and, and so this, how would this all happen? Well, you know, if you look back in history, people said, well, it's going to revolve around the Catholic Church. It's going to revolve around this. I would suggest to you, that in these last days as I'm just watching, it's going to revolve around the worship of creation rather than the creator. And you remember in Romans chapter 1 how God gives people over or gives nations over to that wickedness. And, and uh, it's just funny, this, uh, this last uh, couple of months out in California, you know, there's, I came from, I was born in California. My wife was born in California. That's where all the fruits and nuts are from. So anyways, we tried to escape, but we might have brought some of it with us. But but um, they've got legislation right now that they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to be able to sell um, uh, gas-driven uh, cars by 2035. And, um, and just so you know, last year, the legislation here in Minnesota voted that whatever California does on emissions, whatever they pass as law, Minnesota automatically embraces. So just, just know there's, there's strange things coming. But I would suggest to you it revolves around this worship of creation. You say, how in the world is that going to take place? How can they control everything? Well, um, if you look over on that left picture there, you got uh, Klaus um, uh, Schwab, and he's, he's the spokesman for the World Economic Forum. There's a guy that works behind the scenes. It's his number one advisor. His name is Harari, and I want you just to listen to him. Just for a second. Well, it's for a minute. And then after you get done, you're going to say, is there any hope? And that's the question I want you to be thinking about. Listen to this. It will really become possible to hack not just my smartphone and email, but to hack my brain, to gather immense amounts of data on my body, on my brain, and to hack that. And to prepare for this kind of world, which is coming sooner, I think, than many people realize, we need an antivirus for the brain, for the mind. Even today, you think about something like fake news. Fake news basically uses our own weaknesses against us. Um, if the hackers, if the bots, they discover by monitoring you that you already have a bias against a particular group of people. So they will show you fake news about that particular group because you have an irresistible urge to click on it. To, oh, what, what did they do this time? 
and you will easily believe the fake news because you have this pre-existing bias. So I want an antivirus for the brain that serves me, not some corporation, that also gets to know me and knows that I have this bias against this group and warns me, watch out, you are being manipulated and maybe even be authorized to block these kinds of manipulations. Because, you know, we, we don't, we should come to terms, I think, with the fact that we, as a human being, I know very little about myself. I have this notion, this illusion of free will that I completely control my life, my decisions, my opinions, I know myself, I, I control my life, and that's not the case. So much of our opinions and decisions are the result of processes within us and outside us that we don't understand. And we need help in this era of protecting ourselves from these new kinds of manipulations. Wow, you need help from these new types of manipulation. He goes on to say about the fake news that we need to protect you from, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fake news. Now you say, you've ruined my day. Thanks, Pastor Mark, you ruined my day. That's the reason you and I need to come back to the truths of God. Friends, if you and I focus on the news and all the things that are happening in the world and the, the blasphemy, the godlessness, the rebellion towards God, the discouraging things that you and I face with, you and I will lose hope. But Jesus has spoken so that you and I might have hope. We're going to look at three major passages, and we're going to be covering a lot of material this morning. But this is one of the key passages. If you've got your Bible there, I want you to use this as a key passage. We're going to look at John chapter 14, 1 through 3. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, 16 and 17, and then I want us to look in 2 Peter, and we'll close with 2 Peter. But look at this verse with me. It says, let not your heart be troubled. I don't know about you. I'm troubled when they talk about hacking your brain to protect you from fake news, and they get to determine what the fake news is. Is anybody, anybody a little concerned about that? You should be, all right? But Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, right? Say it with me, you. Okay, now just so you know, I come from a, a kind of a more of a multi-ethnic church. I'm used to you guys kind of helping me preach, okay? <laughs> I need all the help I can get, all right? So I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, uh, and, if I go and prepare a place for um, I will come again and receive you. to myself that where I am, there may be also. Father, I just pray that the words of Jesus would resonate in our hearts this morning so that whether we're talking about uh, uh, the economic situations in this world or the government overreach in this world or the things that, that are going to take place during the days of the tribulation, that God, you would stir up in us the words of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might have hope, so we might have peace, so we might have courage, so we might have direction, so that we might have love and grace towards one another in the complexities of these days. God, help us to draw near to him, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to capture the rapture with me this morning. 
And you know, as you, uh, as you come to church many times, it's kind of like pastors love to zero in on one passage. In fact, it's a lot easier for me to look at one passage and kind of diagram the sentence and tell you about the significant things that are there. But I would suggest to you, many times we can't piece together what God is describing. And so this morning, I want to take a little different approach. Be kind of like you and I went uh, into the mountains. I love backpacking in the mountains, and I dropped you off in the middle of the Tetons. And you woke up in the morning, and there it was, and you say, wow, God's amazing. Look at Teton Peak there, and that would be pretty cool, right? And then uh, when the snow started to come or you ran out of food, you would try and figure out how to get out of there, but where do you go? And we kind of look at the Bible a lot of times in verses very specific like that, but we really don't know how they fit. So what you got to do is take a step back. And so some of you have been to Jackson Hole. You've seen this, this shot of it. So there's Teton Peak. And if you take another step back, in fact, when I go into the mountains, I, I'm going to be in Alaska this summer with my kids. We always do a flyover beforehand because you get dropped off in the middle of the wilderness. If you got to get out, you need an aerial view so that you know where Teton Peak is in the whole mountain range so you know where to go. Does that make sense? And that's why Pastor Jason last week gave you this chart. This chart is what you need as you go through this whole study with him because it describes and unfolds the big picture. And then as you look at each of those pieces, you can understand where they fit so you don't get lost. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, good. Boy, okay, I'm gonna have to pray for you all more. Okay, so you'll notice there, the church age, the, Jesus comes, dies on the cross, Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit uh, comes, the church is, is birthed, it has its beginning there. And then we've got the church age. At the end of the, we are at the end of the church age. And we're waiting for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, friends, the one thing I want you to walk, walk away with this morning is Jesus is coming. Can you just say that with me, Jesus is coming? All right, now I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to someone and give them a smile for me and say, hey, Jesus is coming. Okay, go ahead. All right, Jesus is coming. Now you're going to help me preach this morning. Okay, you got to help me preach this morning. So when you hear me say, friends, are you ready? Your line is, Jesus is coming. All right? So let's just practice it, because we're going to do this a couple of times, okay? You say, Pastor Mark, this is very uncomfortable. Don't you know we're at Lake Sea Free Church? That's okay. We're going to be uncomfortable for Jesus today. Friends, are you ready? Now we're getting somewhere. Okay, awesome, awesome. All right, so when we think about the rapture, there's four questions that I want us to just kind of touch on this morning. It's not exhaustive, but you have to kind of get the big picture because there's lots of opinions, there's lots of movement, there's lots of current. The question is, how do the things fit together? So here's the four questions we're going to look at. Um, What is the rapture and its timing? Are the rapture and the second coming the same event? What is the opposition to the pre-trib rapture? And then fourthly, there is the rapture insignificant because there's a lot of people that just tell us, in fact, I was with a pastor not long ago. He says, I don't teach on prophecy. And I'm sitting there going, uh, and then he says, next sentence was, I only preach on Jesus. And I, I'm looking at him and say, have you ever read Revelation 19.20? It says, the spirit of prophecy is Jesus Christ. Have you ever read Revelation chapter 1? It's the revelation of, not John, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then you think about all of this. This is all referencing what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is preparing, and the fact that Jesus is coming. And so, friends, are you ready? That was just a practice. That's good. Okay. Look at this first passage with me. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look there. And this needs to be a central passage when we talk about the rapture of the church. 
And it starts a little bit earlier, and we're just going to look at the nugget in the middle there. It says, for the Lord himself, Jesus isn't sending someone else. He's not sending a prophet. He's not sending a preacher. He's not sending an angel. No, the Lord himself will descend from where? And where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says he will descend from heaven with a shout. Now, if you look at the second coming, it'll say, you will see the Son of Man coming on his glorious throne. This is a different event. We'll talk more about that. For the Lord himself will descend from him with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And then it goes on and says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So how many of you got a family, friend, neighbor, someone in our church that we've gone to a funeral for, they believed in Jesus, and they died? Any of those? Okay. So this is telling us how you and I should grieve. How do we grieve? Like the world, they're gone forever. I'll never see them again. No, this is based on the very promises of God, the declaration of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Jesus is coming. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. It says then, and then is a very important word. It's a time signature. You'll see it in the Olivet Discourse. We see it here. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Harpazo, extracted, removed, forcibly removed for the glory of God by the power of God to another place. Um, And it says together with them, those who have been resurrected and those who have been raptured, uh, to meet them uh, in the, uh, excuse me, in the clouds, to meet the Lord where? In the air. Doesn't say Jerusalem, doesn't say the Mount of Olives, but specifically where? In the air. Whereas in the second coming, it says that Jesus comes back riding on a white horse. It says the armies are with him. He's not extracting to us. He's, we're riding with him. And it says he touches down on the Mount of Olives. If you haven't been to Israel, go as soon as possible. Uh, Pastor Jason has a trip coming up a, a year from November. But, but when you stand on the Mount of Olives and you stand and you go, this is the spot where Jesus is coming back to in the second coming. But this event, this rapture, it says we're going to be removed and we're going to meet him in the air. And then notice those next, that last line, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I was sharing the gospel one day with a, with a guy and he said, Mark, you're one of those crazy Bible people. Now he was a, he, he belonged to a cult. And so he believed, yeah, he would say, yeah, I, I believe the Bible, kind of, but really I believe what all our cult leaders tell us. And so he started to attack me. And, I, you know, I was a new Christian at that time, but I was zealous for Jesus, telling him about Jesus. And he says, you know, you, you, you believe things that aren't in the Bible, like, like the rapture. You believe in the rapture. Well, all I knew was that there was, I'd heard someone say that. I'd heard the preacher say it. So I said, yeah, I believe in that. And he says this to me. He goes, did you know the word rapture isn't even in the Bible? I was like, what? Man, I ran home, got a concordance, looked it up. Sure enough, it's not in my Bible. And it kind of set me back. And I went back and talked to this guy. I said, man, you're right, it's not in the Bible. Then he said, you know what? You believe in like this thing called the Trinity. And it's not in the Bible either. Why you believe in that? Man, I went home, got my concordance, looked up the word Trinity. Guess what? Trinity's not in the Bible either. The concept, the truth of the Trinity is in the Bible. The rapture, if you look there, caught up. That's what we translated in English. Harpazo is the Greek word that is used. But you'll notice the Latin word next to it, raptus. Uh, so it went from Greek to translated to the Latin Vulgate, down the road translated in English. But the theologians pick up raptus, a, a Latin word, to describe this specific event. And just like we use the word trinity, as an extra biblical word to describe a biblical concept, we use the word rapture to describe an event that Jesus has described in the Bible. Does that, does that make sense, beloved? It's huge. It's absolutely important. doesn't matter who denies it. It's right there in the scriptures. And if you, 
try to define this, I think uh, Dr. Mounts' definition here is, is helpful. It describes God's activity in physically and miraculously transporting people from one place to another. So if we had time this morning, we would go and we would look up in your Bibles all of these examples of where God miraculously shows up and removes someone from one place and puts them in another. Uh, if you read through Genesis, you'll find that there are numerous Old Testament saints. How many of you have heard of, of Noah? All right, Noah, he built a, what did he build? An ark. I hope he had a lot of bass lures with him and stuff on that trip. Anyways, um, but uh, Noah goes through that, that flood, God's judgment on the earth. But Enoch was also a contemporary of his, and it says something completely different. It says that he walked with God, he feared God, he walked with God, and God, what? Took him. God removed him. If we had time, we'd look in Hebrews eleven five, 5, and it says that, that God just took him, and he was no more. Well, where did God take him? If you read down through those passages, he took him to heaven. Elijah is another great illustration of this in the Old Testament. Now, again, harpazo is not used because it's in Hebrew, obviously, but it, it says there in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, that it says that God had, when God was about to take him, and then it goes on and describes the story. And if you remember the story, Elijah and Elisha, uh, they're, they're together, they're going into the wilderness, the Lord's going to take Elijah, and uh, God removes him, God God sweeps him away to heaven. Um, Elisha's there like, my father, my father, where are you? <laughs> and it says, he saw him no more. And then it says he crosses back over the Jordan. He goes to the school of the prophets. And uh, the young men say, well, where's, where's Elijah? He says, he's, he's gone. He's, he's taken. And you remember the 50 young prophets in training, we call them seminary students, <coughs> They say, well, go look for our father. And he's like, no, God took him. He's not there. But they don't believe that God took him. So they go out and look in the desert. After three and a half days, they come book and they go, yep, God took him. This is, this is just prototypes, if you will, of what we're describing. Jesus, um, Harpazo is used of Jesus in Revelation 12, 5, when it describes there that he is taken to heaven. Acts chapter 1 describes after the resurrection and after he's shown himself for 40 days, it says that he is removed. He's, he's, he's taken. He's captured away. I love Philip. This is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember him? He's a rich guy from North Africa, and he buys a scroll of Isaiah. He's been up there at the feast, and he's reading as, he's, as they're going along. How many of you tried to read in the car? Now, imagine trying to read in a chariot, all right? And so he's reading Isaiah 53. It's the suffering servant of Yahweh, and he's reading through that scroll, and he's like scratching his head. How many of you have read your Bible and you're scratching your head? I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, that's exactly how this guy is feeling. Well, God has already told Philip to get down on the desert road, and he sees this guy reading the scroll, and so he starts just kind of like walking along with him, and he says, you know what you're reading? He goes, no, how will I know unless someone shows me? And so he says, well, this is about Jesus. He gets up in the chariot with him, and he tells him all about Jesus. He believes in Jesus. Then the Ethiopian sees some water and says, hey, water, what keeps me from getting baptized? Nothing. And so they stop the chariot. They get out. I mean, think about this. Just like here, you know, see, see some water? We're going to go throw a few bass lures. We're going to go baptize somebody. So we go, and they baptize. He baptizes the guy and says, as he's coming out of the water, it says, Harpazo, it says that the, that the Lord took him, snatches him away, transports Philip up towards Ashdod to the north and drops him off there. The Ethiopian eunuch's looking around going, where'd he go? And it says the Ethiopian eunuch saw him no more, so he just rejoiced God in his chariot and goes back home to Ethiopia. 
And I could go through. My point simply is this, is that harpazo is not only used for us being raptures, but there's prototypes of God showing his miraculous power of removing people from one location to another location. And all of that to simply say this, friends, are you ready? Oh, boy, okay. Some of you fell asleep in that one part, okay. All right, so here's another question. Let me just ask you another question really quick. Um, Are the rapture and the second coming the same event? A lot of my friends, um, a a lot of followers of Jesus, there's only 17 verses, um, or passages rather, that describe the rapture, and they're all in the New Testament. But there's about uh, 1,800 or so on the second coming. And so a lot of times, my friends will say to me, seminary professors, students, other pastors, people that think a lot, they say, oh no, those 17 just must be part of this other second coming of Jesus. And I would suggest to you, it's not. When you look up those 17 verses, you'll find that they are similar, but not the same. How many of you know that there are some similarities between those two Toyotas? Right? Give me some of the similarities, really quick. They, 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 they both have engines, right? They both have windshields. They both have four wheels. They're both made to, to carry five people. But I'm telling you, I'm driving the truck, not the car. Right? Because I plan on pulling my boat and all that kind of stuff and going fishing. They're, 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 they're two completely different things, although there are some similarities. And so when you think about the rapture and you think about the second coming, don't mesh those two together. They are similar but distinct. Let me just give, quickly give you some examples. So in the rapture, saints are taken, but in the second coming, Revelation 19, the saints are coming back with Jesus. Completely different direction, right? Jesus comes and you're removed, taken to heaven. Now we're talking about in, in the second coming, um, Jesus coming back to claim the world for himself, to set up the millennial kingdom, uh, and to bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're coming with him. Completely different directions. Um, I know city people may get lost, but we're all country folk here. We know, we know some directions. Anyways, um, the saints are in, uh, taken to heaven. The saints are coming to earth. Completely, again, different directions. Um, it's eminent. The rapture of Jesus Christ is about eminency. It could happen at any time. Friends, are you ready? That's exactly right. It's eminent. There's nothing that has to take place. But in, in reference to the second coming, there's a whole series of signs that have to take place. And the biggest one is the abomination of desolation. And Pastor Jason will emphasize that later on when he talks about the tribulation. But halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist will go to Jerusalem, set himself up to be worshipped in the temple. And he says, when you see this happen, flee to the mountains. When you see this happen, you know you've got about 1,260 days and this thing's done. Just hold on to the end. Make it to the end. And so there's a whole bunch of signs. Now, some of those signs, in order for them to take place, we're seeing the convergence of them today. I just had a friend of mine come and speak at our church, and he said, 10 signs of Jesus' is coming. He uses it in a non-technical sense to say we see globalization taking place. That has to happen, where people do not, are not committed to nationalism, but globalism. That has to happen in order for the Bible to take place. This end of the U.S. dollar as you and I have known it and enjoyed and benefited, and the world's benefited, quite honestly, from it, but but so we, we talk about those things sometimes as signs, but really they're the, they're the, the confluence of what is to come in a technical sense. Um, 
Another one is that the rapture is not found in the Old Testament. It's not, because the church is a mystery in the Old Testament. But second coming is promised all over in the Old Testament. It's before the wrath. The rapture, it says we are delivered from the wrath that is to come. That means there's some sort of wrath that's to come, and we're delivered from it. Used multiple times in the New Testament that way. And, and the second coming is the climax. It's the end of the tribulation. It ends all of Jesus' wrath on the earth. Completely different direction. And then... Um, again, it's coming in the air versus coming to the earth. Now, uh, how many of you have ever gone, gone fishing, right? How many of you know those different lures that are up there, right? You got a frog up there. How many of you like fishing frogs? Anybody like fishing frogs? All right. So you got a frog up there, and you got a, uh, a jerk bait up there, and you got a plastic worm. And all of those are similar in that you use them for what? Fishing, right? And all of them are in your boat, and all of them are in your tackle box, but all of them are completely different in the strata of water that they, that they, that they fish. The, the worm's going to be where? On the bottom, right? And where's the frog going to be? On the top. And where's the jerkbait? In the middle. So there's similarities, but there's differences. And even so with the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Well, let me give you another question here, and that is, uh, what's the opposition? And there's, there's four oppositions when we talk about the rapture that always come up. The first one is, is that it's mystical, Pastor Mark, I can't believe in the rapture. That's just too mystical. And I always smile and say, uh, you know, there's a Greek word that is used in the New Testament. It's used 24 times. Um, uh, musterios, uh, musterion. And it's, and it's used to describe something that God has not revealed in the Old Testament, but now he's revealed in the New Testament 24 times. It's used to describe the church. The church is not described in the Old Testament. That's the reason the disciples are still trying to figure out what Jesus is doing when you read Acts chapter 1. It's blowing their mind. Um, And so actually this idea of mystery is actually even used specifically by the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 In verse 51, it says, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So, yeah, it's mysterious in that it wasn't known in the Old Testament, but it's known now. The second thing that often comes up is those of us who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture are just trying to escape. I, had, I was on a panel just the other day, and some scholars were attacking me, and they're like, you, you, you guys just want to escape the wrath of God. Who doesn't? I mean, are you a moron? No, I want the wrath of God. I'm more spiritual than you. You're a fool. Seriously, right? I remember when I heard the gospel, I remember one night praying. It's like, man, if I die, I know I'm going to hell. And, and it's like, God, you got to help me understand. Is, it re- is Jesus really the way? I was scared to death. You should be scared to death of the wrath of God. But specifically what they're talking about is not what we're saying. Christians do suffer. And last week, Pastor Jason told you more Christians have died um, in this last century than at any time in the past. It's, we're not trying to escape. Um, it's just that God has promised to remove us before his wrath, the wrath of Jesus comes on the earth. Some people say it's modernism, and, um, and they're, they're, you know, they say it's not systematized as a system of theology and thinking until you know the 1850s. And I'm always like... Yeah, man, think about that for just a second. Um, if you go back and you read in history, the early church was pre-millennial. The early church believed in the, the eminent return of Jesus Christ, like Clement of Rome in 100 uh, A.D. writes, um, speedily he will come and not tarry, talking about Jesus. 
The Didache, which is the book of teaching that um, is given to us about 150 A.D. Uh, to pastors and church leaders. And it talks about, um, you do not know the hour in which he comes. There's the imminent return of Jesus Christ. But one of the things when people bring up, it's just too modern, you know, and so forth, I always smile and say this to them. When was the doctrine of the hypostatic union uh, clarified, delineated, written about? It's the Nicene Creed in 327 A.D. So Christians for 300 years believed in the hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God, fully man, not mingled together, but, but united in one person, two natures in one person, Jesus Christ. And he's fully flesh. He's fully man, fully God. And so that's delineated in 327. Um, and then I always ask him the next question. The next question is, well, when was, when was the doctrine of justification by faith really, really like solidified and like written down? That's like the Reformation, like 1500. So throughout church history, there have been different issues that have come up and there's been emphasis put on it. And even so, eschatology in these last days. And number four is that it's insignificant. I have people say this all the time. I just roll my eyes. It's like, insignificant? Anything that God says isn't insignificant. Everything that Jesus says is significant. Can I have someone say amen? Come on, help me out. Yeah, it's true. And so it's significant. So here's the question. Is the rapture insignificant? Well, let me just give you seven verses really quick. Number one, we already read it. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's a specific rapture text of Jesus preparing a place, promising to come and get us, to take us to heaven, not to earth. And what's it supposed to do? It's supposed to give you stability of soul so that you might have hope and not be fearful living in the last days. Man, I don't know about you. I get a troubled heart every time I listen to the news. And I got to come back to what Jesus says. Here's another one. In 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Christians are going to die. We're going to bury some of our friends. We're going to bury some of our children. These are really difficult things, friends. And you want comfort and hope? You got to go back to the rapture. When Jesus says he's going to resurrect our loved ones and then we're going to be uh, raptured to meet them in the air and thus always be with the Lord. See, it's, it's resurrection, rapture, and reunion. Three R's. It's the three R's. Comfort one another with these words. Another one is Courage. And later on there in 1 Thessalonians, it talks about how the wrath will come upon the world, but God has not destined us for wrath. And then it says these words, therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. Keep strengthening one another. Don't give up. Keep following Jesus. You college students, high school students, your grandkids, you need to be looking at them and say, you keep following Jesus. Doesn't matter what the world does. Doesn't matter what they say. You just keep following Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Friends, are you ready? Let me just give you these others really quick. Love. Love's another, another benefit when you understand the rapture rightly. Another one is zeal. Another one is joy and grace. And another one is direction. How many of us have said, man, I just don't know what to do. I need God's direction. Well, if you go back and you read this passage, it's a passage specifically on the rapture. And at the end of it, just like in all of those other passages, it says this. Here's direction from the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, your sacrifice is not in vain in the Lord. Christian friends, you and I need to have the courage of the living God because Jesus is preparing a place. 
You serve him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Doesn't matter if they unfriend you on Facebook. It doesn't matter if you and I end up losing our job. We may go through difficult times, but you be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Why? Because Jesus is coming. They say, Pastor Mark, this is like too hard to understand. But these things are really things that you need. That's why it's so significant. That's why you got to say, but it's just hard to understand. Did you know Peter felt the same way? You know, the apostle Peter, the guy had been with Jesus for three years. He thought these things were hard to understand. He thought they were hard to fit together. Look at this, 2 Peter chapter 2. Be diligent to be found by him, who? Jesus, in peace, spotlessness, and blamelessness. Regard the patience of our Lord. How come he hasn't shown up? To be salvation. He talks about that earlier. And then he says, just as our beloved Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing the rest of the New Testament, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, now look at this, also in his letters, speaking of these things in which are some things hard to what? Understand. Man, I'm in good company. He goes on, which the untaught, the unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. Christian friends, hear me. The rapture is biblical. The rapture is timely. The rapture is grace-filled. And my question to you this, friends, are you ready? Father, I'm just so thankful for my friends. I pray that you give them grace and peace and joy as they seek you with all their heart, soul, and mind. Christian friends, while your heads are bowed, let me just ask you one question. Here's the question. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Man, get your heart, get your life together. Get, get on course, get on target. Every day is a gift for you and I to be following him. What sin do you need to confess? What promise do you need to hold on to? What action is he calling you to do today? Who do you need to share Jesus with? What do you need to shore up in your relationships, in your home, and in your family, in the workplace? I mean, what do you need to do to be busy about the master's work today? And maybe you're here and you haven't trusted Christ. I want to say this to you. Jesus is coming, and if you haven't trusted him, right now is the day, the time, and the hour. Why don't you call in his name? Say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to save me from my sins. I hear that you died on the cross. You paid for sins. The best I know how, Jesus, right now, I trust you. Lord, hear our prayer. Draw us to yourself, we pray. Give hope and strength to all of my friends. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Mark. Jesus is coming indeed. Go ahead and rise for our closing benediction. This comes out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and have a good day. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. 
And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.